I don't think it means what you think it means. God, we love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your revealing yourself to us in and through it. Uh, Lord Jesus, I just pray that today would be a day that the word is powerfully preached through a broken vessel, that lives would be changed, and God, that we truly would be your church. All of the stuff, all of the activities, all of the traditions, all of the junk, that we would cast all of that out from this place and that we would simply be the church that you've ordained for us to be. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and we will be going through verses 14 to 38. Some of you may be trembling a bit when I say that. That's a lot of verses. Pastor Kevin will preach a 50-minute sermon on two verses, and now we're going to cover half of a a chapter. So we're going to be here until 10 o'clock tonight. No, we won't. I promise. The sermon today is called Off Target, because I think that God would agree that oftentimes in our personal lives and in the church that we really miss it. We miss the beauty and the truth of what God has for us and who He desires us to be. Humility. We talked about this last week and continuing on in this chapter. Humility in Christ. Only in the humility of Christ are we a aroma to God. And I wonder, do you think God sees true humility in you? Do you think God sees true humility in our church? So let's look a little bit closer. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. It reads, Then John's disciples, and the word that comes after that, where it says, saying, Asking, it's the word, the verb lego, which means to actually seek closure in a matter. So John's disciples weren't just asking an innocent question, asking a question, seeking closure in a matter that had been previously open. There's been debate, there's been dialogue, and they're asking Jesus, why? Why do we, John's disciples, and Pharisees, the ones who are supposed to be set apart, that are supposed to be distinct, why do we abstain? Your translation might say fast. Why do we abstain frequently, but your disciples, Jesus, yours, do not? Why? So we're going to dig in. We're going to look at that. Jesus' response, I want you to back up just a smidge. And in the previous sermon, the previous section that we covered, there was another why question from a Pharisee. And he asked the question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I want you to note that, just a reminder, last week the graciousness with which Jesus responded God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who revealed himself through Hebrew scripture. And his response to them wasn't, I'm going to burn you down into a pile of ash. How dare you ask me? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus' response was, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy 
And we said that word mercy in the fullness of its biblical context isn't just mercy in the sense we think of it today. Give a homeless person a dollar on the corner of the road. It means covenant loyalty, loving kindness, remembering the covenant promises of God from the very beginning. Jesus said, go and learn what it means that I desire mercy, covenant loyalty, and not sacrifice. And there's another question today. John's disciples are asking, why? What's the point, Jesus? Why are we doing this? What are we going to get out of this thing? This fasting deal that we're doing? What are we going to get out of it? And I want to ask you something. Does that remind you of an attitude or a behavior that maybe you've seen in your life? Why? Why do I have to do homework, Mom? Why do I have to do chores? Why can't I just lay around in bed all day long and do whatever I want to do? And John's disciples come to Jesus and they say, Why are we doing this? See, John might be dead at this point in Matthew's Gospel. We don't know. But we do know that he's been thrown in prison. And he's asking the question, Why? Just like little kids. Why? Jesus has a response. Verse 15. Jesus' reply was gracious to those Pharisees that wanted to kill Him. They wanted to send Him to the cross and eventually did. John's disciples. A gracious response. I wouldn't have been so gracious and I doubt that you would either. Are you ever that gracious when someone asks you a question and we come back and it's sort of like, you idiot, how do you not know the answer to that? Whether it's to a coworker, whether it's to an employer or an employee, whether it's somebody in the church. Really? The word that we love to use in our culture and society today now. Seriously? And what we're really communicating to that person is, how could you be that dense? How could you be that ignorant? But that's not Jesus' response. My response would have been something to the effect of, I had been Jesus. Why are you still following John? He was the one that's supposed to anticipate Messiah. He sat in the Jordan, pointed to me and said, Behold the Lamb of God. He baptized me so that I would identify with fallen, sinful humanity. I came up and I began a ministry. And yet, you still call yourselves John's disciples? John's disciples. Why? But that's not what Jesus said. Instead, Jesus responded with the same words, saying, Lego, the verb, putting the matter to rest, seeking closure, replied, The bride party cannot wail while the groom is present. Days are coming, though, when they shall be taken away. Then they will abstain. What a gracious response from our Lord. I want to ask you to turn back just a few chapters to Matthew chapter 2. We've got a story about these mysterious magi. 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, Magi, wise men from the east, arrived unexpectedly. Later on, we find out that these Magi traveled what seems to be about two years one way. Two years. And their response when they saw the star. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and we've come to say, Why'd you make us travel for two years, Jesus? Why'd you inconvenience me? I was perfectly content laying in bed back there. Staying at home, doing my own thing. No! I want you to fast forward. To verse 10, it says, Later when they saw the star again for the second time, after they'd follow it all the way to Jerusalem, they saw the star, and it says they were overjoyed beyond measure. Overjoyed beyond measure. What a contrast, right? What a contrast between those Pharisees, John's disciples, maybe even... Someone sitting here this morning, entitled, spoiled, selfish, what the Bible calls foolish. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord, that's humility. That's the beginning, it's genesis of intimacy with God, of wisdom, life skill, and of correction. And oftentimes... Our response, just like disciples, just like those Pharisees. Why? When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. I want you just to minute and look at that slide. Maybe there's a word somewhere on there. Why does the pastor ask me to confess? Why am I supposed to do that thing? I just don't imagine that those magi had the same kinds of questions. How'd they know where to look? How'd they know what to look for? How'd they know to come and not just stay far away? How'd they know what it meant to worship? How'd they know not to count the cost? I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah 58. If you're not familiar with where Isaiah is, go left of the New Testament, past books like Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, you'll get to Isaiah. If you get to Psalms and Proverbs, you've gone too far to your left. Isaiah chapter 58. And I'm going to read this for us, the entire chapter. It's an entire chapter about what it means to fast. Isaiah 58, Cry out loudly, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. This is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah, telling him what to do. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression. In the house of Jacob, their sin, they seek me day after day and delight. 
to know my ways, like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the, the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, but you've not seen? Why have we denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed? Look, you do as you please, God, on the day of our fast, and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I chose be like this? A day for the person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes. Will you call this a fast? Will you call this a fast? And a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't the fast I chose? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? To bring the poor and homeless into your house? Isn't that a fast? To clothe the naked when you see them? And not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, when you call the Lord, He will answer. When you cry out, He will say, Here I am. If you get rid of your yoke from those around you, the finger pointing and malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness, and your light will be like noonday. The Lord always leads you, satisfies you in a parched land, and strengthens your bones. You will be a watered garden, like a spring whose waters never run dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. If you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing what you want on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight of the Lord and honorable, if you honor it, not giving in to your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, or talking too much, then you will delight yourself in the Lord, and I will make you ride over the heights of the land and let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I wonder, maybe you've heard it in a church, maybe it's a tradition that you've practiced in your family of fasting. And I just want to ask you, is your idea of fasting the same idea as God's? I know people who fast so that they can lose weight. That's not God's idea of a fast. See, because that's inherently selfish. I want to fast so that I can lose some weight. I'm going to fast so that I can get a word from God. Chances are, if you'd actually pick up the Bible and you'd read it, that you'd get clarity in what it is that God has for you in your life. If you'd actually pray and turn, repent from your sin... Isaiah 58, God paints a very clear picture 
of the fast is this the fast I've ordained to break the chains of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke. Is not this the fast I've ordained? Is that our idea of fasting? So let's go back to Matthew. Jesus' response, in verse 17, No one puts new wine in old wineskins. See, Jesus is talking about this idea, his response to John's disciples, the question that they ask, why do we do it and your guys don't? Why do the Pharisees do it? See, because either we've got it right or they've got it right and your guys have it all wrong. Why? Jesus' response is incredibly gracious and he points out the fact that no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills, and the skins are ruined. They put new wine into new skins, and both are preserved. I wonder, I wonder how consistent we are. I'm not an archer, I'm not a marksman of any sort. But the idea of missing the target... See, we can be consistent in our sin, and we can raise our hands and say, I'm consistent. I'm consistent in that I'm constantly missing the mark, God. And that's not something to be proud of. It's not something to be proud of. As a matter of fact, you're off target. And that was John's disciples. See, we're... Doing things that we've seen John do. We're doing things that we think in terms of traditions that are good things, but we're missing the mark. And then there's the Pharisees. Precision. They've got it held in, right? Being precise doesn't mean that you're on target. It just means that you're consistent and exact in being off. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law were incredibly precise. But as a matter of fact, they too were off target. They too were off target. I just want you to soak on this for a moment. Is not this fast the one that God explains through Isaiah, is not this fast the one I've ordained to break the chains of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke. Is that our fast? Is that your fast? See, when Jesus says that what I desire for you to be as my disciple, this is what's required, is to deny yourself... Pick up your cross and follow me. And as churches, I've been in ministry for about 16, 17 years, and I've seen some pretty weird, pretty crazy stuff. And I just wonder, like John's disciples, like those Pharisees, have we fallen into traditions and customs Activities, programs, as individuals and as a church. You go into a a church where the Bible 
preached and taught faithfully, you say, yeah, it was okay, but, you know, the music could have been a little bit better. You know, I wish they would have had somebody up there rocking out. I wish they would, you know, have electric blinds and they would have dimmed everything. And I wish it really would have been an entertaining light show. Smoke machines. Because that's really what I want. That's what I'm looking for. Is that your fast? Isaiah 58 teaches us. Jesus taught the Pharisees and the disciples of John. It has to be the will of the Father. It has to be in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And it has to be for Christ's glory. See, that's humility. That's humility. That's fasting. And instead of being off target, that's accuracy. See, if you want to ask the question why, like those little kids, the angry ones doing their chores, the little boy doing his homework, if you want to ask the question why, why do I have to tithe? Why do I have to serve? Why do I have to do anything? Maybe a better question is, why did Jesus do what he did? Your humility should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? God desires to pour out His Spirit, but He doesn't pour it out into old wineskins. And I wonder if maybe today's the day that you can get out of your own way. I wonder if today's maybe the day that instead of saying, yeah, I did all the right stuff, but I'm still walking around with this question. I'm still walking around with a little bit of bitterness towards God and and towards the pastor, and towards the church. Why? And as a parent, if you're asking that question, you think about all the times that your kids ask questions about why. Why, Mommy? Why, Dad? Why do I have to do those things? See, the Apostle Paul challenged us, and he said, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. How often do you walk around with that same spirit? Why? During our time of invitation, I just ask you to respond.